Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 7th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The gangs in Drogheda may be trying to kill each other and while... There are many who say, let them at it. There is also genuine concern that innocent people will get caught up in the crossfire. Two men have been murdered and there have been a number of attempted murders which have seen bullets go astray, where innocent men, women and children have been going about their daily lives. Local houses have been set on fire, leaving innocent people in fear for their lives because of their children's drug debts or because of their neighbour's child's debt to a drug dealer. There has also been many people threatened because of the association with the wrong person and there are many stories of mistaken identity. On Monday, a 39-year-old man was shot outside of his house in Bettystown. He died later in the Lord's Hospital and uh, this morning the Irish Sun reports that the mob who executed the country's latest gangland victim, Richard Carberry, previously botched a plot to beat and stab him to death. Stephen Breen in The Sun reports uh, today that the brutes mistakenly pounced on a completely innocent man. On that occasion, uh, the man had just got off a bus in Betty's town in County Meath when he was attacked by three thugs. He was viciously beaten but managed to escape and raise uh, the alarm. The incident happened just weeks after Carberry's front door was shot through a number of times and that was in March of uh, this year. The Sun also reports uh, that Carberry had had been the number one target for one of the gangs in Drogheda for over a year. Let's talk about uh, this ongoing feud now with local TD Sinn Féin's Imelda Munster who's on uh, the line and a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, It's another uh, serious uh, development uh, but it's part of an ongoing saga obviously uh, to some degree we're getting used to this kind of thing. Well yeah, I mean it was yet another night of heightened terror and fear for people and we had had the JPC on that afternoon, Monday afternoon, the Drogheda JPC and I had said at that, you know, that it it could kick off again at any moment, you know, that there was, there'd been a lull for a while but a lull as in, you know, the the attacks but the intimidation was still going on and homes were still being, people threatened in homes due to, you know, children's drug deaths and that, that was still going on but, um, 
no one could have predicted that several hours later then this murder took place, you know, but it just, again, it just heightens the the fear for people in the local mm. area once again. You know, it's, it's, it's by no means, um, it's ongoing and it's by no means smashed or anywhere near cracking it at this stage and that's, that's the worrying part of it all. Mm. And you hear people say a life for a life and uh, if uh, that rings through in this circumstance, uh, there has to be at least another two murders because two members of one gang have been killed. Well, that's the thing. It's the, the fear now of retaliation and that stepping up a notch, you know, um, because that's what it, that's what it's all about now. It's it's one trying to annihilate the other gang, you know, and that's the fear that's there. But it's the reckless disregard that these gangs show for innocent passerby, passersby, you know, in the way they carry out these attacks. Um, and that one on Monday night, you know, where other... Um, Cars in the vicinity, you know, were mm. shot at, and you know anybody could have been walking up the road. I know it was late in the evening, but just total disregard for for people's safety and for the you know the law of the land. They're just a law unto themselves at the minute. Okay, we have been asking uh, for some time if uh, the armed response units had uh, been stood down or scaled down in this particular part of the world because of the problems in Cavan. Uh, We were told that was not the case Uh, and indeed it has to be said that since we asked those questions, those response units have become more visible. Uh, I think they continue to be in situ but the funding for the armed response units was thrown out in November you're asking uh, if it will be uh, restored and continued. Yes, I raised it with the Taoiseach yesterday because, again, at the JPC, there were serious concerns um, re- made about the, the the funding for ongoing operations to tackle the feud that they had ru- run out um, as of last Monday, ironically. And uh, the, the Gardaí had said that they're still looking for more more Gardaí also, you know, but the the operation, they said that the operation was funded up until that day, Monday, and that they had to put in an application now for further, for the continuation of further funding, and they were going to be seeking a commitment from the commissioner. And I, I just thought, like, how crazy is that? You know, the feud is ongoing. It's nowhere near being cracked. There was a date put you know, as to when they'd have the funding up until, you know, and the funding has run out. I mean, they actually said that the budget in Drogheda is gone and they had serious concerns about, you know, the restoration of the continuation of funding. Mm. But, you know, the fact that they actually have to reapply, and I raised it with the Taoiseach yesterday um, and said that the, the lull was only there because of the visible presence of, you know, the, the Drogheda Detective and Crime Unit and the specialised units. And without that, you know, the feud is set to escalate and all of the work that's been done so far would amount to nothing if they don't reinstate it. And I've also written to the Minister for Justice because I was asking him to meet because the Taoiseach just gives the usual standard response. That's a matter for the Garda Commissioner. Um, so I've written to the Minister because the Minister is the head buck cat at the same time. They're supposed to be the party of law and order. The Garda locally um, shouldn't have to go submitting another application form when they're up to their eyeballs dealing with this ongoing feud. And, you know, that's the second murder now, despite, you know, on top of all the attacks mm. and the intimidation and the beatings and the harassment and the fear that they've instilled in the in the community. Um, 
And the Taoiseach eventually just said then, well, I'm sure the Garda Commissioner will, will look after that. Type yeah, of well, he, he said that the budget allocated uh, to the Garda next year is 1.88 billion, which is the highest ever. Uh, and that Angarda Shiakana has never been as well resourced. Uh, so what do you want? But That's nonsense, Mike. They, every time you uh, raise a question about a particular issue, they talk about the budget, you know, or oh, the budget allocation is X, Y and Z. But the reality on the ground is something totally different. And I'm talking about all aspects, not just the Gardaí. I'm talking about, you know, the HSE and all of the, the, the health service, all of that sort of thing. They quote the big budget allocation. But if the Gardaí in Drogheda have to submit another application for ongoing funding at the height of a feud. You know, that, that in itself says something. And the Gardaí said specifically on Monday that they, they were still looking for more Gardaí, that they haven't enough. They haven't enough Gardaí. And mm. without the continuation of this funding, you know, everything they've done has, will come to nothing. They were talking about, and I'd be the first, mm. and I was the first to, to criticise the Gardaí when, when I thought... I felt... That uh, and and you praised them yesterday and uh, the Taoiseach praised you for praising them uh, but uh, he gave a, a similar have... response to Peter Fitzpatrick uh, and mentioned that figure of 1.88 billion euro because Peter Fitzpatrick also raised uh, the issue with uh, the Taoiseach yesterday uh, and he said uh, that additional resources have been provided but as to whether they can be sustained that's for the Garda Commissioner to decide in the next few weeks. The, uh, what, what, what did he mean by that? Because the funding has run out now. Well, that, this is the madness of it. And this, that's what I said when they stand up and say, oh, the budget allocation, they've never had so much money. You know, the reality on the ground is totally different. And on Monday at the JPC, I was listening to the, the guards. And as I said before, I have been very critical of them. But I had, rec- you know, I said yesterday that they have made inroads because they were talking about they had carried out, I think it was 600 checkpoints and there was um, 120 home searches, you know, under under warrant, mm. you know, and 400 odd um, pl- proactive policing patrols. And that was around houses that were under threat. And, you know, um, there was they were dealing with 450 lines of inquiry in relation to the feud. Now, that's that's a mammoth task. And for them to have to go seeking extra funding, and then you get the, the spiel from the Taoiseach, you know, oh, there's never been a bigger budget allocated, but the reality is, is totally different on the ground. They are short of, of Gardaí. They, they have to ensure the continuation of this funding if they're going to crack it, because as I said, that lull was only because of the visible presence and the fact that the detectives, you know, the, 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 the extra resources they got to, to be, you know, seen and out and about and do their detective work. But without the continuation of that budget, all that just is gone. It's, it, you know, it's, it, it'll just collapse overnight, mm. you know. And if, the, if those thugs and those gangs responsible even get a whiff of, you know, that, that the Guardi are under-resourced again, well, it's, it's back to what we've seen at the start, you know. It'll just escalate overnight. Yeah, so well, that's a big that's if, though, isn't it? I mean, you'd have to assume that logic dictates uh, that this resource will continue to be made available. Well, they, I mean, they, they just simply cannot, cannot discontinue it. They have to give it. They just have to, because, I mean, you can't have an ongoing feud of this scale and nature and not put in the resources. I mean, I, I would just lose the head altogether with them if that was the case but I raised it with the Taoiseach I was hoping the Minister for Justice would be there yesterday 
he wasn't because I wanted to put him on the spot to, to you know, the question I asked would, would he meet with the Garda Commissioner to ensure that this happens as a matter of urgency. But, uh, I mean, there's no way that they could justify not giving the resources. They know, I'm sure they, they, the local Garda have to update the, whether it's the, the Garda Commissioner or the Deputy Commissioner on a regular basis. So they know the scale of the task locally for the Garda and they know that resources are a problem. Mm. And they know that the, unless they give them the resources, this is never ending. Uh, is it possible to make all of the necessary resources available given the scale of the challenges, not just in Drogheda, not just in Bettystown, obviously, but along the border region? But I mean, I mean, you have to if there's if there's issues that are causing massive concern to people, and if you have citizens living in fear day and night. If you have fear and apprehension right across a community and spreading outwards now, we had the murder in Clogher Head there last August. Mm. We now had the murder Monday night in Bettystown. And Drogheda is just ongoing. You know, it's, it's until they, they mm. crack it, it's, it's ongoing. So, of course, you have to put in the resources. And there should be, I mean, I remember somebody saying that the minister said oh there'll be no scarcity of resources you know that uh, um, there'll be no expense spared that's what the minister had said to somebody yeah. um, there'll be no expense spared well clearly there is been expense spared when, when the Gardaí locally have to reapply for the continuation of funding you know you'd imagine if they were, they were genuine they would say well there's your resources We'll look at get, mm. securing you more. Ah, but You're making inroads. Yeah, but you can't you budget on that basis. I mean, you have no, to budget you... on the basis uh, of what's needed, where and when. And if, let's say, the feud was over and uh, the Gardaí had uh, brought uh, the gangsters uh, to task, uh, if uh, they had been charged and prosecuted and incarcerated at this stage, there'd be no need for this yeah, the, level the, of Garda activity. Yeah, but the point is, we're a long, long way off that. You know, we're a long, long way off that happening. You know, it's mm. still live and ongoing. Yes, yeah, so and that's what I said earlier on. You'd assume logic would dictate uh, that. Uh, the, but that's, that's what you would assume. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, the, the, I mean, I was actually mm. shocked because when the Guardian were talking about the putting in an application mm. for the continuation of funding, I thought to myself, imagine they actually have to do mm. that. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. clearly giving reports up to the commissioner. Yeah, we we had a woman in here not so long ago whose uh, car was set on fire uh, and replaced and then set on fire again because she lived next door to somebody who had been the actual target. Uh, We've had people tell us uh, that their house was set on fire uh, because of their children's activities or somebody else's activities or because uh, it was a case of mistaken identity and they got the wrong house and all that sort of thing. What do you make of uh, this man in Bettystown, this report? Uh, that Stephen Breen has in uh, The Sun today been beaten uh, to a pulp by the sounds of it uh, by these mobsters who were trying to take Carberry out. I, yeah, I just heard you. I, I didn't actually read that report at all. Did you say there was an innocent person that was beaten to a pulp? A completely innocent man yeah, beaten, yeah. attacked by three thugs. Yeah, That's, isn't, that goes back to the reckless nature the, you know, and disregard that these people have for, for people that they'd actually pick on the, you know, the wrong person too. But, but again, you know, it, it just shows there's no fear in them either. 
there's literally no fear in them mm. whatsoever. Like to drive into a, a housing estate, which they've done continuously. And I told you there um, a couple of weeks ago about an incident just in mm. the last maybe four or five weeks where in broad daylight, broad daylight, middle of the day, two people that are, are well known to be involved actually um, tried to break into a house with people coming and going about their business and didn't give a damn who saw them because they know they've put the fear of God in people and that people are afraid to report them. They actually tried to break in the door, they put in the windows, and that was in broad daylight. So that's that's the type of people you're dealing with, you know, and that's that's the reason why we have to make sure that we get this funding because we have to nip this in the bud once and for all. Mm. It's just too serious. And but what do you I, do? What do you do when your neighbours are putting in bulletproof windows? That, you know, yeah, I mean that's that's where we're at now, you know. And mm. I mean, I don't even know what a like, bulletproof window looks like. I no, presume it looks like any other. I presume it looks like any other window. But uh, I mean, how do you know, for that matter, that they're putting in bulletproof window if it's just a, a, a an enforced sheet of glass? But mm. I, I mean, that's what you're living with. Well, that's the level of fear yeah. you're living with. But also, I know from people in my office and haven't dealt with a lot of mothers whose sons have, you know, they've claimed that they've owed them money and multiplied it tenfold, mm. and the mothers have to go to the credit union and, mm. you know, beg, borrow um, to get the money to pay them off because the threats on their, their homes. But I, I, I've it's lost... It's not just their homes, it's time. their lives. I mean, if someone their throws lives, a, yeah, yeah. a petrol bomb in your bed, in your living mm. room window when you're in bed, uh, there's a chance you'll die. But you look at that case in Mel, mm. where it was yeah. literally, you were talking about le- under a minute, yeah. that um, that family had to get down the stairs and all they'd heard was a kind of a shush sound, like when they opened the door just to bright lights mm. and you know their their legs were singed and scorched trying to get out to escape but it's 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 that fear and as I said I've often went home at night and would sit there and say what are those people going through mm. they're sitting there maybe in their sitting room or their kitchen with the light on mm. they can't go to bed they can't and if they do mm. go to bed they can't sleep yeah. and I, I've spoken to those people in Mel as you have and they're completely mm. innocent people yeah, completely yeah. innocent yeah. bystanders maybe yeah. uh, somebody thought they were guilty by association but these people were completely innocent yeah. upstanding citizens uh, who had done nothing wrong who had done nothing uh, against anybody who had no involvement in this feud and are lucky to be alive today yeah yeah and I mean can you imagine people like that and others like that too that they would go for weeks without sleep. I mean, I had two women, two particular women I'm, that I'm thinking of now as mm. we're talking about this in my office, mm. and I actually thought one of them was going to have a heart attack in mm. front of me. I got her a glass of water because she couldn't speak. She yeah, couldn't well, that doesn't speak. last weeks. That she lasts couldn't a li- even, but yeah. that, that lasts a, a lifetime. Yeah, she couldn't even... She, I said to mm. her, to yeah, yeah, relax, yeah, yeah, take yeah. a sip of water. She took a sip of water and she had to run to the bathroom to be sick. She was just shattered. I was actually, I, oh, you know, it's it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And that's why it's important that the Gardaí have to get that continuation of funding so they can bring this nightmare because it, it mm. is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, well, um, as you mentioned then, earlier on, uh, the Taoiseach was asked about it yesterday. He was asked twice about it yesterday yeah. and on two occasions he kicked a touch and said that there's mm. a huge amount of money being allocated to the Guardian yeah. and it's up to them to decide on how they spend it. Um, we, yeah. we have to leave it there for the moment, but thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme as always. Sinn Féin TD in Louth, Imelda Munster. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's talk uh, about a uh, media advisor to uh, government minister, Hugh O'Connell, put it 
political correspondent with the Irish Independent is on the line with us. A very good morning to you, Hugh O'Connell, and thanks for joining us to tell us about the story that you have in the Irish Independent this morning. I said a media advisor to a government minister. Uh, the headline describes this person as a spin doctor to Regina Doherty. Uh, tell us who Alex Connolly is. Well, Alex Connolly was the uh, head of communications for Fulcher Ireland for uh, about a decade before he, and prior to that, he was head of the National Press Office in the HSC. And in October of last year, he was appointed as a, a special advisor to Regina Doherty. As you say, Regina Doherty effectively appointed him. And um, all cabinet ministers are entitled to two advisors, one to handle policy and one to handle press and media. Uh, and typically these advisors would earn anything between €79,000 a year and around €98,000 a year in some instances. Uh, but in Alex Connolly's case, he earns €107,000 uh, a year uh, of a salary uh, as a result of being seconded from his full to Ireland job, a job he was on it where he was on a salary of €107,000. Regina Doherty was, uh, or rather her department, was able to secure a special dispensation, I suppose, or special approval sanction for the restriction on uh, special advisor salaries to be lifted in Alex Connolly's case so that he could earn 6000 more than the cap and uh, €20,000 more, or roughly €20,000 more than mm. the average salary paid to a uh, government special advisor. It's not a, a lot of money, is it, when you say it quickly? Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of money otherwise. €107,109 a year, 6000 more uh, than uh, the cap, the official cap that it, yeah. is put on. On advisors right. like this. Uh, what does he do for that €107,000? Well, he provides uh, media and communications advice to Regina Doherty. He liaises with the media, he liaises with the likes of me uh, and, and my fellow political correspondents and all other uh, journalists who have media inquiries. He ensures that, I suppose, uh, Minister Doherty has a, a good reputation in the media, that she gets good coverage, um, that she's got opinion pieces in newspapers, that she's getting uh, plenty of, uh, I suppose, profile in order to show the public that she's uh, doing a good job as uh, Employment and Social Protection Minister. Um, and I'm sure he, he does other stuff as well privately. I'm sure he, he provides he provides wise counsel to the minister. Um, I, no one's questioning his qualifications for this position, but I suppose the issue arises whereby he is he's, a, he's an advisor in government earning significantly more than uh, the average government advisor earns. Uh, and you know, equally so, it, it comes at a time, I suppose, when we had thought that the government had capped special advisor salaries, and indeed they did. The last government capped, uh, put in place a cap for special advisor salaries, only to breach it on on a number of occasions for various advisors who ministers and, and uh, ministers argued uh, to pass or to the uh, Department of Public Expenditure and Reform that these advisors were uh, so good that they were worthy of uh, such uh, of, of salaries higher than the cap. Now, previously, the cap was about €92,000. Mm. Uh, but over the last few years, with the uh, new public sector pay deals, and these are these are public servants, after all, um, and the unwinding of emergency pay cuts during the uh, financial crisis, the, the cap has risen gradually to about €101,000 now. But as I said, most uh, most uh, government advisors, most people in the equivalent role to Alex Connolly outside of the Department of the Taoiseach would earn about €86,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, highest pay, the next highest paid press advisor in government uh, outside of the, the government press secretary who is responsible for all the uh, government press advisors um, is the uh, press advisor to the tarnished uh, Simon Coveney. That's the former news talk presenter, Chris, mm-hmm. Chris Donoghue. He earns about €98,000 but uh, Alex Connolly earns nearly €10,000 more than that. Wow, that's uh, significantly more. Uh, how does it compare to a TD salary? 
Uh, well, a TD uh, earns about, I think, €95,000 a year with the uh, various uh, pay increases that have come into effect for TDs and every other public servant over the last few years. Um, mm. So he's earning more than your average backbench Fine Gaelor. Yeah, I'm just uh, wondering how the likes of Fergus O'Dowd uh, would feel about this, waking up to read your story in the Irish Independent this morning, to know that somebody who's writing press releases and advising the Minister on how to deal with the media is earning, uh, what, close on 10000 more than he is? We'd have to ask him, but I'm, 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 I'm sure he wouldn't be yeah. too happy. Um, but it's, it's, it's obviously something which, um, you know, which will be of interest, I suppose, to the public. And the fact that I suppose that Alex Connolly is the outlier uh, in terms of government advisors. He's mm. earning, outside of the Department of Taoiseach, he's earning more than any other special advisor uh, working in government uh, or working for, for a cabinet minister. So... Um, it's it's significant now. The Department of Public Expenditure, or rather, the Department of, of Employment and Social Protection, mm. where he works, has argued that you know this was all done in line with 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 the way secondment rules work in the public service. He's been seconded from a job in Fulcher, mm. Ireland. He was on a salary of 107,000 euro there, so they had to ensure that he's on, on the same salary whilst he works for Regina Doherty. Yeah, uh, and maybe and, and equally, when when Regina Doherty loses, or rather, if and when she is no longer a cabinet minister he will revert to that role in Fulcher, Ireland. But it's not as if money is being saved here because um, his position in Fulcher, Ireland has been uh, filled in, in the interim by a uh, by another person uh, who, who who's in fact a former advisor to government uh, Dennis Norton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit it's of a merry-go-round. Oh, it's a merry-go-round of ever. And I have to say, I think it probably could argue uh, that Alex Connolly, uh, the press advisor to Regina Doherty, is doing a, a very good job because his job is, of course, uh, to look after her media profile and to advise her on how to deal with the media and so on. And there's a lot to that, including uh, being uh, familiar with everything related to her brief, uh, but to get her into the media and make sure that there's a positive profile for Regina in the uh, uh, Regina Doherty in the media, uh, a big part of that, uh, and also to keep her out of the media when it's not uh, appropriate. Uh, Regina Doherty was always a, a phone call away from this programme. You could ring her up and ask her to come on and talk about the weather or the price of peas or whatever it was. Uh, and if you Google Regina Doherty LMFM, you'll find a million and one quotes, uh, usually when she got herself into trouble because she was very quick to go on radio and talk about things like Enda Kenny should resign and stuff like that, uh, which uh, she said without giving too much thought. And uh, now it's like trying to get an audience with the Pope. Uh, and maybe there's uh, uh, something in that, or maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. Uh, but maybe that's what €107,000 a year buys you. Uh, we leave that to the Minister to respond. Uh, she was to talk to us on Monday. She is to talk to us tomorrow, but I think that's been cancelled to maybe Monday. As I say, it's difficult to get time with her, but we leave it there and let people mull that over for the moment. And thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent with the Irish Independent. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the price of a, a cup of coffee, it seems, is set to increase by 10 cent or maybe 15 cent or 25 cent. It's not the coffee that you'll be paying more for. It's the cup under what is being called a latte levy. It's uh, to save uh, the environment uh, and is seen as an environmental tax, which will be ring fenced uh, to help the government to introduce other measures uh, to improve the environment. Uh, and we're joined by Vincent. And Jennings, who's the chief executive officer of uh, the Convenience Stores and News Agents Association. And a very good morning to you, Vincent, and uh, thanks morning, for joining us. So you have some concerns about this. We do. Uh, look, uh, you've already mentioned uh, plastic bag levy. The plastic bag levy has been an, un- you know, it has been an absolutely brilliant success, right? Uh, 2002, 
we had over 300 million bags. Now it is, you know, a small, small fraction of that. It has been wonderful. And the monies that have gone from that via revenue have gone and they are ring-fenced for environmental projects. So, you know, all a very, very positive thing. There's a big difference between that and or there's a potential for a big difference between that and the, uh, as you call it, the latte levy. Um, for a start, I mean, the public are being invited to uh, uh, offer their opinion as to how much it should be, whether, as you say, it's 10, 15 or 25. But assuming that it is going to be at the higher end, and that that's an assumption that, that is borne out by, that's where they're bringing the plastic bag to as well, 22 to 25 cent, um, and introducing the medium. But assuming that, that that is the case, we need to make very, very sure, we as a society, and most certainly we as retailers, um, will need to make very sure that everybody who is providing coffee in cups, um, be they compostable or otherwise, because it makes no mm-hmm. difference in, in terms of this levy, that everybody is charging. Because the second phase of this is for takeaway, uh, takeaway containers. And there is no doubt whatsoever, if we look at the large amount of plastic bags that are handed out by, uh, by takeaways, um, by uh, uh, in marketplaces and the like without any charge, there is a difficulty here for us as retailers if we see one group of people effectively not charging and effectively the coffee being cheaper uh, than people who are law-abiding, tax-compliant um, and doing the right thing by the state. So we will not stand for that. Uh, but are you saying uh, that new law should be uh, should not be introduced because people break them? No, no, of course not. No, what we're saying is we want to. But, but but that's the problem, pitch. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is we a, want a level. A, it is a, a, everybody. It, well, it is a, a level playing pitch in that uh, the same rules apply to everybody. You abide by them; others break them. Well, that's what's happening at this point in time with plastic bags. It will be, mm. a ma- and that's a matter for revenue to to to, to rectify. Um, but certainly, we need to be very clear that whatever happens, whatever way it's going to be done with the, with the uh, latte levy, with the cup, with the, with, the, with the charge on cups, that it is every single person is being charged because it is not the case at the moment for plastic bags and this will be exacerbated with, with the coffee cups. Coffee cups will be for mm. uh, coffee outlets. Are for, there's far more of those than there are um, of, of the type of outlets which are currently not handing out. But it, we just want to level playing pitch. We don't. We want to. I mean, it's our children. It's our grandchildren's future. Okay, as well. but but, but are, you asking, are, are you asking? Are you asking them not to introduce uh, the no, slavery, asking, or are you asking no, no, them to enforce the law? When it is introduced, we want mm. to make sure that it is done in a fashion that every single person is being charged mm, to enforce the law. In other words, yes. Mm, yes, so that if yes. people are breaking the law and people aren't being charged... But, well, we also need, Michael, and the more important... And so, uh, parallel to that, I mean, mm. there has been a, a real con job has been done with the public, making them believe that somehow or other, buying compostable cups, buying compostable mm. containers, that that is better for the environment, that is better for them... We as, well, it is as, if you come if you compost them. It is, but if, if you, you throw them in a black bin, it's it's not. Yeah, and and the, and there is no local authority anywhere in the country which has a, a which has an ability in their bin system throughout the cities, throughout the towns, uh, in any of their bins, for so they are separate and segregated. So people are buying the product. 
thinking to themselves that they're doing somehow or other that's doing good and it's ending up in landfill. It's not It's not digesting, it's not changing anything um, and it is just right. extra money for the suppliers, uh, having to spend for the, for the, for the suppliers for, of, of the product for the retailers um, and people think somehow or other it's doing good. It's not. It's a con job. It's a total con job. You may as well just go back to the silly polystyrene stuff for all the good that they're doing in the environment. They're not. Well, of course, uh, unless people take them home and compost yes. them, or unless they do something different, which is uh, to make segregated waste bins available on the street so that you can put compostable that's, material that's into a compost bin and recyclable plastic into a plastic bin. People give out about the amount of plastic bottles that are, are thrown away every day that go into landfill every single day. But if you're walking down the street with a, a bottle of orange, uh, you have nowhere to put your b- uh, bottle when you're finished with it. Yes. Yes, yes. Unlike other European communities, other unlike other places, which have a properly thought through full cycle, start to end series sequence. That's what that's what we really need. But that's separate and apart, and I'm not taking away from 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 from. I mean, we're just I'm just setting down a marker that mm. you know it needs to be a case that everybody is going to be compliant in this one. But you're also highlighting another issue, an existing problem, that if you go to the chipper, they'll put your chips in a plastic bag and they don't charge you for it, and that's illegal. Correct. It is. It is. And so people it, benefit from that, and as such, they're not going to be pointed the finger. Mm. Well, people don't really benefit. People don't want the bags. But they're not charged. Often. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they bring them home and say, well, what do I do with this now? Because those bags uh, really don't have much value. You don't bring them with you to uh, yeah, the shops to do your grocery group. shopping and all yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're useless. Uh, so what should be done? Should there be a concerted effort uh, to clamp down on that? I would have thought so. I would have thought so. I think there's time. I mean, we have... A little bit of time, even with, with, with Brexit being delayed, we brought in 400 more revenue officials um, to, to, to prepare for Brexit. Mm. Maybe they can um, start making visitations to people to make sure that they're complying with the plastic bag tax. There's uh, quite possibly uh, an opportunity for your members uh, with this so-called latte levy, uh, because uh, you'll be paying for the cup, uh, but there's a, a chance to sell recyclable cups to people. There will be. That's there at this point in time. Of course there will. Um, and and we'll, we'll welcome that opportunity and obviously we'll give value for money for that. Mm. I suppose the real thing is that, the, and, and, and this will be a slow burner. I mean, I know what the Minister is trying to do and he's quite right in trying to influence and change 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 opinions. What we don't want, obviously, and I'm being mercifully about this, but we don't want to reduce consumption of the product itself. Yeah, nor should you. Of coffee. Um, mm. so, 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 so we don't want a situation where it is made more awkward for people that they elect not to buy a coffee because they haven't got a cup with them. Mm. Well, I mean, are people going to worry about five or ten cent? Um... I don't think it's going to be 5 or 10 cent. I think it's going to be 25. And I think if somebody actually counts that up in the course of a week, it's not a small amount of money. Mm. Well, I, I don't know if it is or isn't. Uh, I'm not sure how people afford coffee at the moment. I mean, you'd buy a jar of coffee for the price of a, a cup of coffee, it would seem. Well, that's you could say that same about every fast-moving consumer good. All right. Uh, but uh, do you believe uh, that the minister uh, is uh, being honest in his objective, uh, that this is uh, a move on uh, the department's part to improve uh, our, our obligations in terms of uh, the environment, or is it a tax grab, do you think? 
Well, it's certainly not a tax grab. Um, but, I mean, I don't know whether or not levies and, 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 and effectively dipping into people's pockets is the only way or is it the first way that they actually attempt to change. It seems in Ireland we seem to dip into people's pockets with alarming, uh, 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 very quick altogether. Um, and whether or not there is an ability to, to, to move from an educational point of view, we have a crisis, there's no doubt about it. We have a climate crisis and desperate times need desperate measures. Maybe this is the right thing for the, for, for, for the minister to decide to, to, to take on the, the wastefulness of, of single-use plastic. Um, you know, we have a mm-hmm. crisis and, and, and we wish the minister well. It's not an easy task. Um, and we're not opposing, and I want everybody to know that, you know, CSMA and its members are not opposing this. All we're setting down the markers, we do not want there to be a competitive disadvantage between our tax compliant members and people who elect not to do so. But you'd prefer to say the introduction of compostable bins uh, and the exemption well, I think of that compostable that cups. In, in, that has to be done in tandem with it. Of mm. course it does. I mean, there has, there's a series of measures and hopefully the amount of money that's going to be coming through from these will assist in that. Mm. Um, but it really does need a, a, a very, very big change in the way that people actually behave um, with, 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 with single use. We just can't continue as a society to throw things away. We can't. Okay, we'll leave it on that note and thank you indeed uh, for thank joining you, us here on the programme this morning. Vincent Jennings is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of uh, the Convenience Stores and News Agents Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. John from Dundalk is one of those listeners. He phoned in. Two points to make. He doesn't understand uh, why is it that we have anti-gang legislation in place that people can be brought before the court on the word of a superintendent for being a member of a criminal gang, similar to the anti-IRA legislation that is there. And why is this not happening? Because daily we are reading in the papers and hearing on the news that Gardaí are aware of who these people are, that A, B or C are major players. That's what we are being told. So if the people who work in the media know this, the people that write these stories, why aren't the Gardaí going round and picking up these people? Uh, I feel that the intelligence services of the Gardaí should be deployed to have members of these gangs before the courts. Mm, Uh, And regarding then the ongoing uh, situation, the campaign of terror against the the Quinn directors, as he puts it, it's well past the time that we had an interstate agency to tackle these criminals. Whatever legislation is needed should be put in place. History is history and our past should be left behind. I feel that these people are attacking you and me if this was a campaign against TDs in that locality the full resources of the state would be utilised and rightly so anyone familiar with the Leitrim Cavern Fermanagh area uh, that they're talking about here know that for many years it was just farming and Gardaí that were there for jobs or else emigration. We have a huge company providing jobs and these jobs and the people should be protected. Those in charge of security of the state I feel are falling short in this case. Indeed, uh, former TD and uh, Government Minister Dermot Ahern has been making the argument uh, that a cross-border agency could tackle this problem successfully as well. Francis emailed us in. I just want to express my opinion about the whole drugs problem and the feuds that come with it. I find it quite bewildering. 
of how most countries have such lenient laws when it comes to this. What would it take to have a zero tolerance and dishing out proper punishments to wash such evil from society as is done in other countries around the world? One must worry when you're raising kids in a society like this where they can be at risk of falling into this trap. I think it's high time stiffer laws need to be introduced Mm. before we end up like we are in Mexico or somewhere else. Yeah, well, I know a number of uh, good young people uh, who have fallen victim, if you want to look at it uh, that way, and all you have to do is walk uh, around the streets in our towns with your eyes open and see the eyes of a lot of young people rolling in the back of their heads. Anne also got in touch on the same topic and says, Michael, there have been two murders in this area in the space of a couple of months. That is the reality. That is the the community that we are now living in. There have been numerous other attempted shootings and attacks. In my view, this should be considered a national emergency. I believe that we should be using our soldiers the army, they should be saturating the wider Drogheda area and restricting completely the movement of this people. Mm. These people, they will be stopped in their tracks. They will not be able to go around selling drugs or attacking Mm. one another. This is what is needed. And yet we're just going from month to month with politicians coming on your show saying this has to be done or that has to be done but nothing is stopping it. Yeah, well it's all the local politicians that are coming on saying this has to be done and that has to be done and uh, they are in line with what the local people are saying because it's a local emergency. It's probably a local emergency in a lot of localities and different pockets across the country and therein lies the problem that it's not just unique to this part of uh, the world and perhaps uh, that's why the Taoiseach responds in the way that he did yesterday saying that there's 1.8 billion allocated to the Gardaí for next year to deal with all of the problems that they have to face across the country and it's up to them to decide on how they allocate those resources so it's not seen as a national problem what's happening in this part of the world is not seen as what's happening as a national problem probably part of a bigger problem that's happening across the country but in terms of what's happening locally here and how important people are taking it how concerned people are about it and how fearful they are of it mm. uh, well it's just a another dimension to all of the things uh, that the police force has to contend with. But let's uh, talk uh, about the weather or a weather-related issue for a moment, if we can, because it's a horrible day out there. and. Sure uh, you wouldn't want to be waiting on a bus. Uh, it seems as though people are waiting on buses quite a lot, in particular in County Meath. Uh, this has been an issue and as a result, Bus Erin has appeared before Meath County Council. We'll hear some of the problems now, first of all, in Kells. The 109 service, um, the commuter service at peak hours from Kells into Dublin is not enough capacity on that service. People are left standing at the bus stop, particularly on the early early morning uh, service, a quarter to seven, and have to wait for half an hour for the next bus to come along. That's Sean Drew in Kells, Fianna Fáil councillor, one of uh, the people who's been complaining about uh, the service for his constituents in Navin. Alan Laws talks about buses being full. It happened to my own daughter only a couple of weeks ago where she was going into college and two buses passed her boy full. Now, if that had been a day when she was sitting in a part in exam, uh, it could have affected her badly. And, and she's facing the prospect now when she does sit a far, uh, an important exam, she'll probably take an alternative route into the city. 
Independent Councillor Alan Laws talking about some of the problems in Navan. In Ratoth, Gillian Tool, another independent councillor, says that there's a problem to do with funding. But I think the issue is really coming down to national budgeting. We have an annual budgetary process. We have a, a national climate action commitment and strategy. Funding for transport has got to be more than just on an annual basis. What business can plan 12 months in, 12 months out? There has to be a bigger picture and there has to be commensurate funding for that, for investing in new buses, uh, for investing in hybrids, uh, new routes, bus stops. Um, Every vehicle should be accessible. Finnegal Councillor Maria Murphy has been highlighting how sometimes there are buses available to people, but the service is far from perfect. Although the 105 route bus will stop in Dunboyne and Clonee, coming from the Drogheda direction, it can drop off in Dunboyne and Clonee, but not pick up. And coming outward from Connolly Hospital, it won't drop off, but it will pick up going outbound. Wow. Mad. All right. Uh, Stephen Kent is the Chief Executive Officer of Bus Air and he's been speaking to LMFM's Marco Driscoll. We've had huge growth over the last number of years and as we said inside in the presentation we had 20% growth, 18% growth last year and now followed by 15% passenger growth in the Mead across all of the service in the corridor. So we're committed again to continuing that growth and in the short term at the moment we have, with that level of growth, we have some capacity issues which we'll continue to work with the National Transport Authority to make sure that we have the right fleet, uh, higher capacity buses, that we continue to review the service to enhance them as best we can for all of the customers and that's what we'll be doing. So we'll continue to work with the council and take feedback into new areas that need to be served and to do that in a constructive way. That's inclusive for all, so that's what we want to do, continue to get people out of the car into our bus services, which we're delighted uh, are continuing to be enhanced in in, in consultation with the NTA. And if we do all of that, I think we'll have a a great service, not just here locally, but between here and Dublin, which everybody wants. I know you you mentioned it in your presentation and there as well, the National Transport Authority obviously have a a lot of control over, you know, resources, buses and uh, funding for the different routes. What's that process like with getting additional resources for County Meath and I suppose where else they're needed in the country as well? We have a very good relationship with the National Transport Authority and in general they've been very supportive of all of the issues that we always bring to them as part of our daily, weekly and monthly engagements. So as everything uh, is in Ireland, there's a limited purse in everything. So to a large extent, it depends on the exchequer funds made available next year. So we'll continue to impress upon them the needs of the services required by customers in the Mead area. And we'll continue to look for, as I said, enhancements in the service where we can, more frequency if we can, more buses where we can. And we'll continue to do that because it looks like there's a great, successful story emerging here. And everybody now wants to build on it, and that was evident in that room today. And just finally, I know some of the councillors raised it, but the issue of complaints or more communication with bus airing, is there any particular way you see yourselves addressing that going forward? Just because I know people do often send in emails and you hear reports of no replies. Is there anything that you could maybe, or that you've taken from the meeting today with regarding the complaints procedure or anything like that? Or Well, as we said, we put it all in the context of uh, the services, particularly even on one corridor, where we're operating at about 0.1% complaints relative to the level of passenger journeys. So while it's small, it's never insignificant. So we'll take every complaint seriously where it comes in and try to resolve it. Everything that we have, we've got our channels open either through social media, through our telephone call centre um, or through our customer care team. And we've given an undertaking that every every single complaint that we'd ever receive is responded within five days and hopefully fully by within 15 days. 
So we're never beyond not wanting to receive a complaint, but our objective every day is to get up and to ensure a complaint never occurs by delivering a right bus at the right time and to do it in the way that people want. So that's what we'll continue to work on. It's all part of our Destination 2023 objectives. Uh, we're, we're getting up every day and we want to be as customer-centred as we possibly can, and that means that everybody that's in our company at the moment is orientating around that. Uh, so we'll do our best. We'll continue to work as hard as we can to deliver the best possible service we can for the people of Mead. All right. Uh, sounds great. Stephen Kent, Chief Executive Officer of Bus Air and speaking uh, to LMFM's Mark O'Driscoll. Now let's go back uh, to the phones and some more of your thoughts. What else have you got for us there, Marie? Michael, just some comments in relation to the um, increase in price for plastic cups and bags. We had um, Jim from Navin is wondering, will this stop people with no civic spirit from throwing their cups and other rubbish out the car windows, he wonders? Mm. Uh, just raising the point that this is happening all the time yeah, yeah well I doubt it it just means they'll pay more for them yep. yes mm. uh, Gronia on the same topic says I'd rather there was an extra charge on a plastic cup than to put a levy on the cost of fuel as mm. buying a latte or a cup of coffee is a luxury mm. but fuel is a necessity okay so that's that one. All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll finish on that, Michael. Okay. Thanks for that. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. The murder of Anna Crigel and uh, the sentencing of Boy A and uh, Boy B has left as many questions as it asked in the first place and many questions for us as a society uh, and how such a crime could occur. How could two seemingly ordinary children, 13-year-olds, lure a young girl to a derelict house, sexually assault her and beat her to her death And what was nothing short of an act of evil barbarity. Uh, the judge couldn't explain uh, how or why these children would have carried out such a, a crime. They came from secure backgrounds and were loved and nurtured by law-abiding and conscientious parents. We're joined now by Tanya Ward, who is uh, the chief executive of uh, the Children's Rights Alliance. And a very good morning to you, Tanya, and thanks for joining us. I'm not sure how many answers you have, but I'm sure, like everybody else, you have a, a lot of questions. A lot of questions, and I, and I don't think that there are a lot of answers, to be honest. And even if they were, they they wouldn't take back what Anna was subjected to, and and the fact that she's lost her life in in these types of circumstances. Um, I mean, like you and, and everyone else, um, were, were terribly affected by how Anna was murdered, and I think her story in itself. Uh, on one side, she had this fantastic life ahead of her she was wonderfully creative she had a family that loved her she had people around her that loved her and she had, was having a very difficult uh, uh, experience I suppose in school and difficult teenage years and I suppose there's, there's a lot of different things in the case I think worth engaging with and, and learning from because I think that's all you can do when you're dealing with this this travesty that a child died in such horrific circumstances and two children were involved in it. Um, you know, the, when, when the trial was, was playing out, the thing that really struck me, I suppose, for, for Anna and uh, was that, you know, she when she was in primary school, she was very happy, she was getting on well. And then when she moved into secondary school, there were problems in that transition piece. And, you know, she 
didn't have as many friends as she had before. Um, and that really struck me. And that's something I hear quite a bit um, in the Children's Rights Alliance, just yeah. different areas, children with disabilities, children with no difficulties or learning difficulties, but having difficulties in the transition sometimes from primary school to secondary school. And I, I think yeah. that's something that we really need to look at. Um, it's a, a, a very different uh, yeah. look on it, uh, but it, it's yeah. something that uh, was said in that report from the Peter McVerry Trust yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Uh, they were talking yeah. about that transition uh, from primary yeah. school to secondary school and yeah. people who ended yeah. up being homeless found it very difficult. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you would have seen on social media a lot of people saying Anna would have found her tribe um, when she grew up or when she got to college. And I always mm. thought, God, in the pity you can't find your tribe in, in secondary school or in your local community. And I, I think that's something we need to look at. The other thing that though really struck me, I suppose, with, with the trial itself is that, you know, uh, our members contacted us and were very disturbed uh, on, on two fronts. One, I suppose, the way Anna's... Um, uh, and the story was being played out in court and uh, her experiences on social media and some of the things she was engaging in, which most, a lot of children engage in, and that the feeling that's a violation of her privacy. And obviously, one of the issues with the criminal trial is justice has to be done in public yeah. for a whole range of reasons. But I, did, I do wonder, when we look at how we deal with this serious type of crime, and I think what we realise is our legal system, it tried to do its best in this situation, but there's some aspects where... We, have, we weren't able to deal with this type of crime. And I wonder, like a rape child, could the privacy of the child be protected? Um, children and young people listen to this case in a very different way than they did to others. You know, you often, I often turn the radio down when the news is being reported with my kids in the car because of the details of a murder case. But I think children and young people were very affected by Anna's death because she was a young person, she was a child, and two children were involved in it. Um, and, it was, and, and it was such... Um, a, a, a difficult end for her and um, a lot of groups around the country, youth groups, have been trying to do work with children and young people but again I think about the sensitivities around this case and the reporting on it and I wonder could there have been another way uh, uh, to manage it um, I mean in terms of the criminal trial, I mean the judge obviously did a lot of work himself to try. he, like, he, he was very cognizant of the fact that he had two children um, he allowed them to sit with their parents you would have read accounts that they were holding their, their parents' hands, leaning on them at different points. Um, you know, I would have heard from the, the lawyers in the, in the forecourts that the children were walking around the forecourts as well. Um, but, you know, so that's another question. You know, should people have known who they were? Because, uh, mm. again, did we have the right setting to try and deal with this type of crime. That Other sensitivity, countries. though, started before the trial itself, didn't it? I mean, with yeah. uh, the Gardaí, uh, they rented out cars so that there weren't guard cars or cars known to be uh, part of uh, the police force uh, outside of houses when they went That's around right. to interview the That's boys. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah. when they brought them in for interview, uh, they made accommodation available so their parents didn't have to sleep in guard stations. That, that's right. And, you know, the thing is, I suppose, in, in other countries, they probably deal with this a bit differently. Um, a garage of criminal responsibility is 10 in, in Ireland, which would be at the low end, to be honest. We're, we're, we're down there with the with the UK. In other countries, they um, the age of criminal responsibility is 14 or 15. Yeah. And so if an event like this happens, they still have, like, they might have a special hearing to try and look at the causes, why it happened, um, and there'd be a range of different responses, you know, a social work response, therapy, um, uh, and they'd be trying to make sense of what happened, um, and, but, and really responding to the fact that the, that, that the child is a child. Like children under a certain age, under the age of 14, 
have difficulty processing risk and also understanding the consequences of their actions. And I suppose that's what's going to happen now for those two boys when they go when they're in Oberstown. The work that Oberstown will do with them will be focused on that, focused on taking understanding the consequences of what they've done, trying to rehabilitate them, mm. and trying to to think to, to get, prepare them for the future. And we all are, are trying to understand it, uh, young and old, as you say. Carl O'Brien is writing about this in uh, the Irish Times today, uh, and he talks about uh, children who'd have gone to the same school and how the school has been dealing with it and how they've been in regular contact with pupils and their parents through a system of text messages over the course yeah. of uh, the last year. At different yeah. times, the teachers would have gone home with uh, other children from the school on the school bus or on the bus's home. Uh, the prayer room was set up, letters were sent home uh, asking parents to keep an eye on their children and support numbers were given out. Uh, The school chaplain was involved with students who were struggling to come to terms with it and all of that. And all of that's very good. Uh, And if I understood you correct, Tanya, what you were saying about the reporting was that you were concerned uh, about uh, the impact that that would have on children psychologically, uh, whether it would upset them, cause them anxiety or perhaps uh, uh, result in copycat behaviour. But there is a a real need for us all to try and understand this because there's a huge divide between our generation or the generation uh, who are our parents to children in school these days and the children themselves, isn't there? That, I, I completely agree. I think what, what came up from the members was, I suppose, was Anna's privacy. Uh, so there were stories that Anna herself was was was, was uh, creating, um, saying she was being bullied and she was responsible for the comments, etc. Um, and I suppose that people wondered, was there a need for that to be gone through or to be reported? Um, and if it was like a rape trial, you know, it can be reported mm. at the end. The different details can be reported uh, at, at the end. The other thing, though, that's very striking, and again, we don't know exactly why this happened, but it would, the, the, there would seem to be some suggestion that violent pornography potentially played a role. Mm. And because Boy A seemed to have a large volume in his, his control, 12,000 different uh, images of extreme porn. Uh, Some of it was animal porn, child porn, horse porn, whatever that is. And uh, it was on the dark web and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that is, I think, very disturbing, Um, particularly if someone that's coming from a a supportive family. And I think we need to learn from that as a society. So, So on one side, you know, most children are online. They have really positive experiences online. Mm. They network with their friends, their family, they're learning, they're, uh, they're being educated online. Uh, but there is a minority of children that are sometimes unintentionally being exposed to this kind of material or, or they're seeking it out. And I think we need to be having very frank conversations with our own children. Very frank conversations need to be had in schools, in youth groups. Um, and we need to also be looking at trying to make mm. the internet much safer for children. Like, children should not be able to access violent pornography. But they do, Um, and this is nothing new, Tanya. Uh, I mean, I've spoken to you and many others uh, about this in the past, uh, and children are watching violent pornography, and they're doing it all of the time. Whether we like it or not, that's just a a fact of life, but they don't go around killing other people. Uh, Eilish O'Regan is writing about this in the Irish Independent today, uh, following on from a study which was led by Dr. Kate Dawson of the School of Psychology in NUI Galway. She says that sometimes it's blame too easily uh, for triggering sexual aggression and uh, that uh, if uh, that is behind somebody's behaviour uh, they were uh, they had that tendency anyway 
Potentially, right? And yes. there's, no, there's, no, there's no doubt about it because, but I think it does play a role in dehumanising people. Um, oh, and if you course, talk yeah. to an organisation like um, One in Four, they work with uh, uh, people who've been accused of abuse or who've been convicted of it. Mm. And what they are saying is in a lot of their cases of younger people, they're finding that they had been looking at images of child abuse. Mm. Um, and they were concerned that that's making the connection, it normalises it, that it's, it, that it's okay, that it's not a crime, that you, mm. you've harmed someone. But I think we, I, I actually, I don't accept that we we can't deal with this issue. Like the pornography is being produced and managed by something like four or five different global providers. It, we should be able to regulate this area. We mm. should be able to make it. We should be looking at it like it's like a product that's like alcohol that can be harmful for uh, for you, particularly particular forms of it. Mm. And we should be able to regulate it in such a way. And what, like, what about the argument, uh, though, if you clamp down on those four or five providers, it becomes a cottage industry that there'll be a thousand small uh, providers. But the, here is the thing, I think. I mean, there's, there's, there's always that. Mm. But... Um, like you see in other areas of life where regulation is brought in and it does control access. Like I think one of the things you hear a lot is children being exposed through pop-ups to pornography and it directs them and pulls them into the material. Like pop-ups shouldn't be allowed. Mm. You know, if you look at what we've done on data protection in Europe, we passed the GDPR and it has transformed uh, data, uh, uh, data communications uh, around privacy. If we can do it in that area, we should be able to work out some sort of system with protecting people's privacy, but also restricting people's access to this kind of very violent, dangerous material. Mm. Yeah, and uh, they're being run by criminal gangs. A lot of the people who are involved uh, in uh, the acts that children are watching are enslaved uh, and uh, the children themselves are having uh, their thinking directed by people uh, who uh, wouldn't otherwise be considered uh, to... Uh, be of uh, normal standing in uh, 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 a normal society uh, but uh, that seems to be the world that we're living in and uh, I suppose that's something for us all to mull over and they're part of uh, the questions that we're all asking following on from that trial. Tanya we leave it there for the moment and thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Tanya Ward Chief Executive of uh, the Children's Rights Alliance. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, in East Meath, thousands of uh, people are on a boil water notice uh, for the fourth day in a row. It's uh, the second such notice in uh, 10 days and came into play on Monday night following heavy rain over the weekend. Uh, we've had heavy rain overnight and uh, it's to continue, it seems, until late into this evening. And God knows what impact that will have on the leak slip water treatment plant. Uh, which supplies 66% of uh, the water to over 600,000 people in uh, this country. Uh, Brian Fitzgerald is an independent councillor. Maria Murphy is a Finnegale councillor. They're both on uh, the line. And uh, a very good morning to both of you. And thanks uh, for joining us. I take it at this stage, Maria Murphy, people are fed up. Um, I say people are fed up. Um, we've been pretty lucky up to now in Dunboyne because we've always had our, our water coming from Dublin and we haven't had the same issues as other parts of the county have had. But now it appears to have hit us full on. Um, given the closeness of the two events and the reason why they happened, um, it wouldn't give you confidence that there's going to be any short-term fix to this. Um, it seems there's a major job due, you know, to mm. the plant, and um, the kind of work that's going to be done is not going to be uh, done fast, you know. Um, I know the reasons why the two episodes, the reasons were... Separate reasons, as, as you would say, were given for them, but 
the fact that it's come so close together, um, it is very worrying, and we need to keep an eye on this. We really, really do. Yeah. Mm. What have you been hearing from people, Brian Fitzgerald? Uh, undoubtedly, they're fed up, but are, are they concerned uh, how long this might go on for? Uh, I mean, I've heard talk uh, that people could be without water uh, coming into Christmas. Yes, absolutely, Michael. People are disgusted with what's happening. Uh, like, may I say, first of all, I think it's important that people are on a state of caution and filling water. But to inconvenience the families, young families who are uh, uh, maybe parents both working, trying to get children out to school in the morning, and all of this. And to think in this day and age that we have that problem, I, I cannot subscribe mm. to the fact that it's because of heavy rain. It's not that we're not used to heavy rain in Ireland. For God's sake, there's, like, there's not even the bad flooding or anything like that that we've had maybe the last couple of years. And for them to come up with this type of an argument, it, it doesn't, to my, in my opinion, it doesn't uh, make sense. Because if there is obviously a technical reason there that's not happening, was there work that needs to be done that's not being done? In other words, there was supposed to be major investment in uh, by Irish water, but that seems to have gone by the wayside. So I, I, I cannot except, Michael, what's been said, that it's because of the heavy rain and all of this type of thing. That plant has been in operation for a long number of years. Mm. I haven't heard that argument ever before. Yeah, Maybe well, it, se- it, se- it seems as though you can't get water in this country if there's heavy rain, and you can't get water in this country if there's no rain. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, like, you know. It seems a yeah. joke. Like, Irish water was set up, and it was, there was a lot of things going to happen, they were going to borrow and there was going to be major investment. We're not seeing any of that. There was to, to take water from the Shannon and have a major plant. Whereabouts is that? Like, uh, five years ago we were showing a plan at the regional assembly mm. and we still have seen no, nothing by the way of a pipeline or mm. anything else coming from there. So uh, there's something not right and I think people have got to have a look at Irish water the way it's been set up. Michael, they've set, they've set them up to look after plants all over the country. There's a multiplicity of plants, mm. which is a joke. Let them deal with some of the major plants, the likes of Leagueslip, the likes of the Shannon, the likes of ones in Cork and Limerick, major ones. But they don't appear to be able to do that. It's, it's not good enough for to give people uh, a notice to say that they must boil their water and... We don't know how long this is going to last. Well, That's not good enough in this yeah, day. And no, and I'm sure everybody agrees with that. Uh, I think uh, if there's any good news in this, it's uh, for the uh, bottled water companies and the supermarkets uh, because there's a lot of confusion as well as to what is safe water. Have you been speaking to people, Maria Murphy, who are concerned uh, that if, uh, let's say, they boil the kettle, the water may still be contaminated? Well, yes, and I've also, people seem to be very just unsure of what to do, trying to do the right thing. Mm. For instance, people saying, well, if I brush my teeth, is it safe to use the tap water to brush my teeth? And, uh, and they say it's not because you might swallow some. Well, exactly, just don't, you know, don't swallow it. And that can be kind of hard, especially if you're dealing with young children or people who have low immune systems. There, it, it was very worrying. Mm. For but and if you go into a restaurant or something, do you know if they've boiled it or boiled it correctly? Well, that's another thing, but I, I, I suppose you would have to be know your own local business and that they run well and that they would be taking the proper precautions mm. um, in, in that regard. But again, there's a major, there's a cost involved for the business. Isn't no, the, the, the reason I asked that question, by the way, is because I'm sure businesses are concerned 
that people might be asking that question. Uh, this is having a terrible impact on how they do their business, uh, 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 apart from anything else, apart from the inconvenience of them having to boil water, buy water in, and the extra expense of that. And then there's a question of trust. Exactly, exactly. People have to have confidence in the public water system. And at the moment, in this part of Mead now, there's no, no confidence in it, you know. Um, so we'll have to watch it. Uh, and the other thing that's coming to mind, and I'm continually telling people, is that people seem to be very unsure of where their tap water actually comes from yeah. in, off the street because and there was a number of discussions on the forum last week um, when the boil notice was finished as to when you could start using a tap water again and people need to be sure where their you know the tank the capacity of the tanks in their attic and how their water is supplied into their property and uh, a lot of people aren't you know so they assume mm. that once the boil notice, boil notice is stopped that they can turn the tap on and away they go well not so and uh, that's concerning as well, you know. So I, I did say, what I say to people is just depending on your property, whether you're in an apartment or a more modern property or an older house, just be, be, be sure of where your tap water is coming from within your property and the capacity of the tank you have. And when can you use it when it's been lifted? How long are Well, what I say to people mm. is, I mean, you know, you have a point in your... I'm in a housing estate 20 mm. years here, 21 years here, and, you know, and I've always... Well, most of my life I've lived urban, but... You know, your 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 cold water tap, the drinking water, comes in through one point in your house, and um, mm. they're in the the other cold taps to stay in your bathroom, and um, downstairs or upstairs, they come through the tank in your attic, and your hot water comes to your your tank in your hot water. But the tank in your attic can have different levels of capacity depending on the the the, the age of your house, say right. maybe a hundred liters, two hundred liters, and there are people who put extra big tanks into their attic to cater for power shares. Right. And that, and they need to know, like the 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 activity in their household. You know, if they're up, if they're having showers, if they don't use many showers, they, you know, the likelihood is, um, you know, w- would that tank run through mm. in a day if the water was turned off? Most people would know that when the water is turned off due to a fault, you know, maybe how long it takes where the taps run dry. You know. uh, It's not just confusing, but it's contradictory, isn't it? Because, I mean, you're told not to let your taps run, uh, and I take it that's what you have to do to make sure that it runs off. Well, you see, if you there there is the point. People have said you could run your tap off or flush your toilet, and then your your tank will the system will clean out. But Mm. you're only one. You're only one property. The Mm. the estate and the street out onto the road, and to have that proper confidence in that, um, from a point of view of the, the tank water. Um, you would have to have everyone do the same thing. God, there seems to be confusion that's, on top of confusion. Uh, Brian... That's a guessing game. That's a bit of a guessing game, you know? Yeah, well, there's so, so, some people uh, who checked first time around and reading in the papers, uh, and they didn't come under the boil water notice, uh, and when they checked this time around, uh, it appears as though they should have been boiling the water or buying water. Uh, it seems to be confusion on top of confusion, Brian Fitzgerald. Absolutely. And, uh, and that was going to continue, Michael, uh, unfortunately, because if they're making a point that uh, because there's a yellow warning that there is a possibility that people will have to continue to boil the water. I think people better it's better for people to boil the water to be on the safe side anyway, Michael. Uh, obviously, for drinking water, the people have to go out and buy it. Well, it's not the way it should be in this day and age. But unfortunately, that's the situation that we're in. I think we have to think of the people's health, which mm. is of paramount importance in this stage. And you mentioned about uh, businesses and about restaurants and hotels. Mm. They are not going to take any chances. They're going to ensure, and they probably have some sort of treatment plans themselves or treatment systems within their organisations to ensure that 
things are happening the way it should happen because it, they cannot afford for people to maybe to get sick as a result of mm. using the water if it wasn't properly uh, treated. So I, I'm quite certain that people are going to be very uh, uh, cautious of that and they're not going to take any chances. But uh, it, it's a ridiculous situation in this day and age that we have this uh, now. As you said, when there is no rain, there's no water. When we have rain, now, there's <laughs> yeah. still no water. So like, it, it's just not good enough. And people uh, in Irish water... Uh, the minister at the end of the day is, is the book stopped with him because Irish water now are not as independent as they were set up to be because of the water charges not coming on stream. It didn't give Does it them make the, the case for water for charges? Well, uh, Michael, that's, it, that's an old argument. Yeah. It was lost and uh, probably the way it was handled. But there certainly has to be a major investment where the money comes from, like if it has to be borrowed from Europe or wherever. But it's certainly, there's obviously serious problems that needs to be addressed. And whereas the East plant is a long time in operation, but it's the first time that I've heard of this mm. situation developing, as close as I'm doing Maria Murphy, there was a, a lot of objection to water charges in Dunboyne, as there was right a, across the country. Do you think people would be happier now if they were paying water charges and able to use the water coming out of their taps? I'm, I'm not sure if both things that they would have confidence that both things could be linked that if they paid the worst charges the, there would be confidence in the worst structures straight away I think would be a long process the way the, the, uh, they have been running for the last few years they're uh, the same as, as Councillor Fitzgerald said um, certainly uh, if worst charges were to be brought back in people wouldn't have you know it, it would depend on the basis on which they were levied and the way they were calculated um, there were problems a lot with the, with the system that was initially been introduced and that was the, the way the process was handled let's say you know uh, led to lots of problems the last time I believe but we're not talking about that now what we need to mm. get is proper um, drinking water into the properties in South Mead and Dublin the 600 households or people involved in this and that's a major part of the population that's, invo- that's, connect- that's involving it's, it's, connect- it's, you know, it's a problem for business it's a problem for tourism um, for the hotels, you know, um, I mean, it is, it is actually major and it has to be sorted. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, something everybody uh, can agree with. I don't think anybody would argue with it anyway, but we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you both for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's Fine Gael Councillor Maria Murphy and Independent Councillor Brian Fitzgerald. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, the opposition sometimes uh, brings uh, bill, uh, bills uh, to uh, the doll, but they're blocked by the government. Uh, and uh, this is because it's a minority government uh, and uh, it has done it on 50 occasions, more than 50 occasions, according to four opposition TDs. Uh, this is uh, the Solidarity People Before Profit Group, Breed Smith, Richard Boyd Barrett, Gino Kenny, and Paul Murphy. Breed Smith has brought a motion to the Dáil seeking to change the Dáil rules which would prevent the government from withholding bills because they say they need what's called a money message. Now that was ruled out of order by the Ceann Corla, Sean O'Farrell and the four opposition TDs are bringing the Ceann Corla to court. It's a bizarre situation. Let's hear more. Uh, we're joined by our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Good morning to you, Sean, and uh, thanks for joining us here on the, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, what does this mean in terms of the separation of powers? Because the 
four opposition TDs are asking the courts to decide on how the Oireachtas runs. Yeah, it's an interesting question on the separation of powers. And it's one that Judge Gareth Simons yesterday, when he heard this in the High Court, was very conscious of because he was teasing out the possibility that, that firstly, the people before profit had sought an injunction yesterday to do all business that would effectively have put their motion back on the order paper after, as you mentioned, it was ruled unconstitutional by the Count Corda. He didn't grant that in the end, saying it would effectively be the courts telling the doll how to do its business when the doll had already voted on the order of business and decided the, the way for it to go. So he, he moved that injunction out of order, but did grant leave for a judicial review, saying in the High Court yesterday that, uh, not definitively, but there is arguably a case that the money, money message provision, which is in the Constitution, is being uh, taken a, an overly broad view by this government in order to block opposition bills. He didn't express an opinion either way on that, mm. that it would be a matter for the judicial review and for when that goes to, to a further trial. And they're meeting again in the court this morning to set a date for that. Right. And it appears there is widespread support for the view of uh, the four TDs. Uh, Micheál Martin spoke uh, in favour of their motion, as did Mary Lou MacDonald and Brendan Howland. Yeah, uh, interestingly, and it was raised in court yesterday, Brendan Howland then actually voted with the order of business, which didn't have it on, uh, as did, it did Fina Fall. But the they have been saying for some time, the opposition, that there needs to be change around this. And just to, to explain the rules, I suppose, a little, it's basically any opposition bill that is brought that would bring a cost to the state, uh, for example, if they wanted to introduce a new tax, can't have approval unless the Taoiseach signs off on it with what's called a money message. And mm. typically, uh, in previous doors, it hasn't really come up because there's been a majority government either through a coalition or one party. So uh, opposition private members' bills never really got very far anyway. But in this doll with new politics, more, the doll has passed more than 50 private members' bills from the opposition, some of which need a money message and, and would have a certain financial implication, although not a huge one, and others which mm. the TDs argue there's a very spurious view being taken. For example, they say in one case the reason for a money message being used to block it is that there is a potential down the road that civil servants would have to do some extra work that would cost money. Um, so a very, quite, a, quite a loose and spurious way that the government is trying to block. Yeah, I heard Lisa Chambers make exactly that point uh, about parental leave and that maternity leave could be split, that a woman could split that with her, her partner if she wished. And that's being blocked by a so-called money message by the government because they say that it would lead to additional administration costs. Yeah, and uh, there's other ones like that as well. The Climate Emergency Bill, for example, which doesn't have a financial implication on the state. There's one with regarding to medicinal cannabis. So there, there's definitely a question uh, over whether or not the government is using this. Uh, you know, it, mm. it's taking a definition that wasn't, it wasn't intended in the Constitution and using it to block bills it doesn't like. Now, that ultimately is going to be for the court to decide. It would be a pretty huge ruling if they do decide it. And I think the difficulty that, that comes in the motion from people before profit is that it, it is somewhat ambiguous. What their motion seeks is to change the door rules so that any bill um, that requires only incidental expenses wouldn't need a money message. But where do you draw the line on incidental expenses? How do you define that? It's quite a loose term. So... Uh, there's a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes policy that, mm. that is being uh, uh, being debated here and will be debated in the court, but the upshot is that essentially they're trying to block these bills that have been passed by the Dole and the majority of TD 
but that the government didn't want to go ahead. Uh, and it is uh, somewhat technical, uh, but uh, the argument against the government uh, is that it is being authoritarian and that it's having its way and it's not respecting the democratic wishes of the majority of members of the Dáil. Yeah, now the government uh, disputes that and says that in some of these cases money message would be needed, that it is a constitutional provision and that there would need to be a financial outlay. It also said that I think in, in and I am open to question on the figure, but I think 29 of those bills so far haven't requested a money message and that one has been granted in a number of other ones. So they're going through the process of, the, of becoming law, which is quite rigorous in, in the Oireachtas anyway. But most of these in Leinster House aren't particularly buying that. A lot of them have had their bills it's given rise to the nickname the do-nothing doll which most TDs mm-hmm. accept at this stage because there is a lot of legislation some of it quite important and some of it that would make a material difference to people's lives that is just not getting through because really the government doesn't want it to get through or it's not their own bill All right It's a peculiar story if ever uh, but it'll be decided on by the courts as you say We leave it there and thank you indeed for joining us Our political correspondent Sean Defoe brings our programme to its conclusion today God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM Good morning Bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM To contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.